Hey everyone, this is Scott Matson for Centuries and Saints. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. So what we're going to be doing for this teaching is I will be putting on here a sermon that I preached at my church in Southern Oregon, Jacksonville Presbyterian Church, several months ago in the spring. And we looked at the different women in the Gospel of Luke. That was a sermon series that our church went through. And I had the privilege of preaching the first sermon in this series, and we looked at Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna, and how these three women point us to Jesus, and also serve as good examples for us of what it looks like to be a a faithful follower of the Lord, to fear God, and walk with Him. So I pray that this sermon is a blessing to you. Let's take that in now. Great to see you all this morning. Uh, I am Scott. I get to be the director of mission here at Jville Prez, and I'm excited to be with you this morning to look at God's word. And how was the meet and greet time? Not, yeah, yeah, not bad. Okay. All the introverts in the room, like me, are like, oh man. I was lucky though. Nobody actually came and said hi to me. So it was. Oh, thank you, Pastor Richard. Yes. No, that wasn't for sympathy. I was, I was happy about it. It was great. I'm just kidding. Um, Okay, well, it's great to see you all. Thank you for those of you who are here in the room, those of you joining us online this morning. uh, Welcome. Welcome to Jville Prez. So, we are going to be looking at Scripture this morning, and we're going to be bouncing around quite a bit, so hang with me here. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 7, and then I will take us through the different places we're reading. So, hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And looking at verse 13, But the angel said to him, Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then over to verse 24. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So that's Elizabeth. Now we're going to read about Mary. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then chapter 2, verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow for 84 years. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. My friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Please be seated. Abandon every hope, you who enter here. Perhaps you've heard those words. Those are the famous words over the gates of hell in Dante's classic medieval work, The Divine Comedy, Dante's Inferno. Also, it's how Salvador Alvarenga must have felt. You're saying, who's that? I've not heard that name before. In November of 2012, Salvador Alvarenga was 50 miles out to sea in his little fishing boat. He was deep sea fishing off the coast of Mexico. When his worst nightmare came true, a massive storm rolled in unexpectedly and began carrying his boat out to sea. He did everything he could. He fought the waves. He tried to steer. He tried to align himself exactly with the current to get back, and he just couldn't do it. He flew into a rage and began destroying his own engine. His boat had no anchor. And in one last desperate cry for help, he got on the radio and begged and pleaded to be rescued and saved. But to no avail. And then, silence. Now, imagine if that was you. What would be going through your mind? What might you be feeling? How many days, how many weeks, how many months? Or if you're like me, how many seconds, how many minutes would it take for you to begin to lose hope, to lose faith? How long until you would give up hope? Now, I know in the room and watching online this morning, there are different kinds of people. Some of you here, some of you here are optimists. You see the glass is half full. You think, oh man, that'd be interesting, a sea adventure. That could be kind of cool. I'd love to do that. Anyone in the room that might feel that way? No, no hand. Oh, okay, a couple hands. The, the Fennel boys. There you go. Absolutely. Youth. 
right? You're like Bear Grylls, the survivalist. Like, that'd be so awesome. I'd love to do that. Uh, or maybe more, you're more like, like me, uh, prone to look at that and think, yeah, that would be probably the worst thing I could imagine. That would be horrible, being swept out to sea with no one to help me. Maybe there's someone in the room who has such deep faith that you're like, you know what? I believe God is sovereign and he has me where he wants me. And so right now, this is where I'm supposed to be. I don't know if there's anyone in the room who would react that way. If so, I envy you. Um, I would be in the second group. I would be not in a good place. That would not be good. Okay. Well, in our new sermon series... And yes, this ties into our new sermon series. Um, We're encountering Jesus. And we are doing that specifically by looking at the women all throughout Luke's gospel. There are lots of different stories where Jesus has interactions with different women uh, in Luke's gospel. And there are amazing things we can learn from each and every one of those narratives. Every one of those stories. And so this morning we are looking at Elizabeth, Mary, and Anna. We're going to see how they responded to God's plans for their lives. We're going to see the situations that they found themselves in. The kind of faith they had to exercise for their circumstances, where they were. Whether it's hopeful, despondent, or somewhere in the middle. And most of all, the hope is we're going to get to know Jesus better. We're going to encounter Jesus as we look at these different stories of these different women throughout Luke's gospel. And so the idea is that we are going to sort of triangulate our position. If you've heard that phraseology before, we're going to look at Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna, and through them, we're going to see the one that they point to, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that all of Scripture is pointing to. So, let's talk about Elizabeth. This is a medieval painting depicting the visit of Elizabeth to Mary. Both of them had been told by an angel that they were going to conceive miraculously. Um, I am a big fan of medieval art, I'm kind of a nerd that way, but also I'm realistic and I just want to tell you if you don't know, they would have looked nothing like this. Okay. So Art sort of reflects the the person who painted this. So this was definitely someone in Europe in the Middle Ages who painted this. Uh, I I don't think Mary lived in a medieval-style castle, you know, and had a halo floating around her head. Uh, But anyway, it's a fun painting. Um, So Elizabeth, let's look at Elizabeth. Who was she? She was the wife of a priest named Zechariah. And as we read... Elizabeth was given an announcement by the angel Gabriel that she was going to bear a son. Elizabeth had been barren. She and her husband had not been able to have children. And she is told by Gabriel, the angel, that she is going to bear a son. And look what he says her son is going to do. And her son, of course, is John the Baptist. And Gabriel says about John the Baptist, he will be great before the Lord. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, speaking of Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is huge. Elizabeth, this woman who's unable to have kids, she's told by the angel, you're going to give birth to this man who is the promised forerunner of the Messiah, the one who will go before the Son of God and prepare Israel and the world for his arrival and for his ministry. That's huge. Elizabeth, in addition to this, she was, as Luke tells us, a righteous woman. She feared God. She and her husband walked faithfully in the commandments of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean when you see in the Bible it says that Elizabeth or Mary or someone was righteous, that doesn't mean they were sinless. It just means that they feared God and they lived according to his word. But Elizabeth had experienced profound disappointment. Elizabeth was unable to have children. No matter how much she and her husband wanted children, this was an obstacle they could not overcome. And while Elizabeth was righteous, she trusted God, she feared God, no doubt she experienced all of the highs and the lows which profound disappointment in life can bring. And we know that disappointment touches every single human being. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We know from Scripture that the world is not as it's supposed to be. The world is not as God originally designed it. Sin has come into the world and has corrupted everything. And therefore, every human being experiences disappointment, sadness, difficulty in life. We see that all the way back in Genesis 3 with our first parents, Adam and Eve, and we see it today. In May of 2020, just not even two years ago, not even two years ago, the University of Chicago conducted a poll about levels of happiness amongst American adults. And they found that only 14% of American adults would say that they are very happy. 14%. That's a very, very low number. Now, it's the lowest it's ever been, and I'm sure the pandemic plays a part in that. But even at its highest, that number was only 31%. Right? So this touches on, this speaks to the human condition. Elizabeth's story, her disappointment, speaks to the human condition. But Elizabeth also serves for you and me as an example of a tenacious faith that hangs on to God in the midst of life's worst difficulties and disappointments. Things had not gone her way. In in biblical times, if a woman was unable to bear children, uh, she was seen as being less than other women. Now, that certainly is not the heart of God. Obviously, we know that. That was an unfortunate byproduct of that specific culture. But Elizabeth, no doubt, would have been looked down upon by her fellow Israelites. And having been married most likely around the age of 14... She would have experienced many, many decades of being childless, of this disappointment. Luke told us uh, in his narrative that Elizabeth and Zechariah were both advanced in age. He also told us that Zechariah was serving as a priest. And in Leviticus 12, God made it clear that no man was allowed to be a priest after the age of 50. So to be advanced in age, 
but yet still under the age of 50 in that culture. They probably would have been in their mid to late 40s, not what we usually think of as advanced in age. I'm turning 40 next month, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not advanced in age. Come on. (laughs) But Elizabeth serves as this incredible example of a woman who hangs on to God in the midst of life's worst disappointments. She represents for us a faith beyond disappointment. And Elizabeth's basis for trusting in God is what I want to focus on here. She trusted in God before God answered her prayer of many decades. She trusted in God. So when we look at Elizabeth, it wasn't that she trusted God when he did what she wanted him to do. We know that there are times in our lives, and I know that we've all experienced it. We've all experienced it when, if we're being honest, God doesn't do what we wanted him to do. And it brings deep disappointment, deep grief. And that's part of of life in this fallen world. And God understands that. God understands that grief and that disappointment. But Elizabeth serves as a challenge and a conviction for me because she hangs on to God in spite of it. She hangs on to God in spite of that. Deep, deep disappointment. Even while her prayers went unanswered. And so, when we look at this, when we look at Elizabeth's story, then how do we encounter Jesus in this? How do we encounter Jesus? Well, we look to the one that Elizabeth's son pointed to. We look to the one that he pointed to. That even when we face disappointment that doesn't seem to have an end, we look to Elizabeth and we look through her and we see the God who has come. God has come. That even when we face disappointment, we can say Jesus has come. He has died. He has risen from death. I may not understand this and I may not like it. God, I may not like your plan and I would never choose this. But I also know Jesus has come. That's what we see when we look at Elizabeth. She challenges me. She challenges me. Her faith was so deep and so strong in the midst of great disappointment. So she is an incredible example of a faith that won't let go, a faith that is beyond disappointment, a faith that hangs on to God in the midst of the worst. And there's another kind of faith which points us to Jesus. And we see that when we look at the story of Mary, the Virgin Mary. Now, Mary, she was young. She was betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal just meant she was legally engaged, as we would say, to be married. Okay, she was probably 13 or 14 years old. So back in this culture, and for most of human history, uh, people, it was normal for people to get married at the age of 13 to 14, right? Uh, you were seen as being a man or a woman at that point, and basically you just went from child to adult like that. That's all it was. There wasn't any kind of in-between period. And so you were expected to take your place in the community as a responsible member of the community. And so Mary was betrothed to Joseph, so she was probably 13 or 14 years old. Uh, She feared God, Luke tells us. She walked in his ways. And we see from Luke's story that Mary was profoundly humble. 
Now, a common theme running through Luke's gospel is that it's the humble who receive God's mercy. It's the humble who receive God's favor, while the proud are turned away and rejected. Something very common that we see. And I love this quote from Bede, the Venerable. He was an English monk many, many years ago, back in the 7th and 8th centuries, and he said, through all the time of this transitory age, the just and merciful creator is willing to oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. Quoting scripture. And we see in Mary that she was a young woman who feared God and walked in humility. We also know from Mary that she was very poor. And we know that because when she and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to present him before the Lord according to the, the law, they offered two turtle doves as a sacrifice, which was the offering God prescribed for those who were too poor to afford a lamb. Okay. And so all of this, Mary, she's young, she is <clears throat> poor, she's unknown, she lived in a little village in somewhere in sort of the backwoods of the empire, not from a significant place. But all of this She trusted God, submitted to his will, and her obedience results in the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. Mary is an incredible example of a young woman, a young person who has deep faith in God from a young age and walks with him. There's another young woman who had very deep faith. You may have heard of her. Her name is Katie Davis. And in the year 2007, she graduated from high school, and at just 18 years of age, right after graduation, she took a bold step of faith and followed what she believed to be the Lord's leading and moved to the African nation of Uganda, sensing God's call on her life to work with orphan children. And she went on at this young age to adopt 13 Ugandan children and take them into her little home. And then she founded a missions ministry, which is still going strong today and reaches different tribes throughout Uganda and in that region of Africa with the hope of Jesus and cares for orphan children. She's also authored three different books. She's a respected voice in missions. And even today, as of right now, she's only 32 years old. So pretty cool story. Pretty cool story. And, and like Katie Davis, we see with Katie, we see with Mary, this example of what I would call a mature faith, a young person, a young person clinging to God and trusting in him and walking in obedience to his commands and his word. And so we can all learn from Mary. Mary also, like Elizabeth, challenges me. Mary challenges me, this young girl who knew the scriptures. If you read in Luke chapter 1, Mary's prayer and song of rejoicing. Uh, in, in certain church traditions, it's called the Magnificat. Mary is quoting and alluding to the Old Testament in every word. This is a young girl who knows God's word and walks faithfully with him. And she's this amazing example to all of us, um, and especially to those of you in the room who are teenagers and young 20-somethings. So if you're in the room right now, and if you are a teenager or below the age of 25, would you raise your hand, please? Raise them high. Raise them proud. Okay. We got some people in the room. Awesome. 
First of all, all of us should be praying for you. But man, what an example Mary is. And even though your life may not yet have come into full swing at your young age, you can still pursue God and live in radical obedience to him. And we saw that last week, didn't we? When we saw all these young people get baptized. We had, I think, 10 baptisms last week, and many of them were, were people who were teenagers. That just made me so happy. It's so, so amazing to see that. So how do we encounter Jesus, then, as we look at Mary? How do we encounter Jesus? Mary submitted to God's will. And through her, God became human. God became man in her womb and was born into his world in order to save it, to bring salvation to his people. Mary had a deep faith in her own son, calling him her savior. She looked to him as the one who was worthy, as the one who fulfills his covenant promises. And so in Mary, through Mary, I should say, we see Jesus as the God who fulfills his promises, the God who keeps his covenant. As R.C. Sproul, that great Presbyterian theologian, said, Mary celebrates the God who remembers his covenant. Luke has an eye on history. He sees that the birth of Jesus does not happen in a vacuum, but in the fullness of time. When Jesus is born, he is born after many promises from God. Covenants have been made between God and man. The promise that had been made to Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is now coming into fullness in space and time. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. So we encounter Jesus through Mary as the God who keeps his covenant promises and comes to save his people. So will we live this out? Will we, as God's people, and especially you younger people in the room who raised your hands, will we, will you walk with God today, this week going forward? Well, in addition to the steadfast faith of Elizabeth and the mature faith of Mary, let's look now at one more kind of faith, the final woman who we're looking at this morning in Luke's gospel, Anna. Anna was an old woman, Luke tells us. Those are not my words. Those are his words. Fearing God and living a life of righteousness before him. Now, Luke explains to us Anna's history. She had gotten married, again, probably around the age of 14, After seven years of marriage, her husband had died, leaving her a widow, which means she would have been widowed at the age of 21. And then she lived for 84 years as a widow, and she was serving God day and night in his temple, living a life of prayer and fasting. And if that wasn't enough, Anna was also a prophetess and an evangelist. So, if you do the math, everyone, do the math, married at 14 widowed at 21, and then living 84 more years. Guys, she was 105, 105 years old. Amazing. And she's still going strong, living faithfully for God, worshiping him, awaiting the arrival of the Messiah, being fruitful for his kingdom all the way until the end of her life. And what does she do when Jesus is brought into the temple, this this little baby, probably according to the law, barely a month old. What does she do? She goes out and she tells everyone who will listen, God has come, Messiah is here. And she was 105. 
It's amazing to me. 105 years old that she did this. And we see this in Scripture. We see this uh, even again today. We see people who are in the later stages of life going strong and, and doing huge things. Uh, one example, because I love food, and I would imagine a lot of you in the room do as well, uh, Colonel Sanders. Who's heard of Colonel Sanders? Yeah, what is he famous for? Kentucky Fried Chicken, that's right. I was reading about him a little bit. He didn't franchise his first restaurant until he was 65 years old. Okay. So everything that we know him for happened after the age of 65. And at some point, I think after the age of 75, he was traveling over 250,000 miles a year doing stuff for KFC at the age of 75 until he died at the age of 90. Very active life. Uh, has anyone in the room ever heard of Grandma Moses? Yeah? A few people. Grandma Moses. Famous American artist. Painter. Prolific. Painted hundreds of and hundreds of paintings and canvases. She gained great fame as an artist. But here's the thing about Grandma Moses. She didn't really start painting until she was 78 years old. 78 is when she got her start. She gained national fame. And today, to this day, she's respected as one of America's great artists. And she ended up living to 101 years old. This is one of her paintings. Pretty amazing story. And so those are just two easy examples, Colonel Sanders and Grandma Moses, along with Elizabeth, or pardon me, Anna, showing us that no matter how old we may be, if God still has you, still has me, still has us here on the earth, there's a reason. He's got a purpose for us. Anna serves, in my mind, again, as these other women do, she convicts me. She's this example of just this patient, steadfast faith. She waited her entire life for the arrival of God's promise, the Messiah who would come and be her Savior. I imagine that. 84 years just showing up day after day in the temple, praying, fasting, serving God in that way, day after week after month after year, and the years turn into decades 84 years just being faithful, just being faithful. That's really amazing. And I think of Anna, I think of what Paul wrote in the book of Titus, that those who are older should be discipling and teaching and mentoring those who are younger in the faith. And I want to share a quick personal story. Um, I did not tell him I'd be sharing this, and he is in the room this morning, so I apologize in advance. Pastor Larry, um, but Pastor Larry has served for me as a wonderful example, and I'm not saying Pastor Larry's old. I need to preface that. That's not what I'm saying at all, um, but Pastor Larry has taken time uh, over this last year since Meredith and I got here uh, to meet up with me once a month and just have lunch and just talk with me and share his wisdom with me and help me learn what it means to be a pastor and to be in the ministry. And that has been a huge blessing for me. And that's something that I think is such a valuable, valuable thing, that those who are older in the faith and in age can mentor and disciple those who are younger. That is such an important, valuable thing. So 
I just wanted to share that and give props to Pastor Larry uh, for that. So how do we encounter Jesus then through Anna? Well, when we look at Anna's story and we see Jesus come, we see through Anna that Jesus is the God who arrives at the right time. He comes at the right time. The Apostle Paul told us that in Galatians 4, that in the fullness of time, or at the right time, God sent his Son into the world. Anna waited longer for Jesus than any of us in the room have waited. I would ask anyone in the room who's 105 or over to raise your hand, but I don't think we have anyone in the room who's 105. Right? Anna, has waited, Anna waited longer than any of us but she stayed faithful through it all, every day, day after day, week after decade, just waiting for Jesus to come and serving God faithfully during the waiting. During the waiting, finding things that she was able to do, prayer and fasting to serve God. So Anna serves as a wonderful example for all of us in the room, and again, particularly for those in the room who are are a little bit older, right? No matter what your stage of life to be serving God faithfully in ways that he has you to serve him. It's an amazing thing. So when we look at Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna, we look at them, we encounter Jesus. Right? We see Jesus as the God who comes at the right time, the God who keeps his covenants, and the God who stays faithful to us even in the midst of life's worst disappointments. What a picture of our Savior we have. So how does Jesus then give hope to the weary Christian, the one who's experienced profound disappointment in life? Well, Jesus gives us hope because we know, as the Scripture says, Jesus endured everything that we endure. Jesus endured being misunderstood and maligned, slandered and blasphemed, Jesus endured being betrayed by a close friend and then being abandoned by all the rest. And then Jesus endured the cross. He endured the cross. It's the gospel. Jesus endured the cross, the wrath of God being poured out upon him for the sins of the world. And thus Jesus can relate to us when we suffer disappointment. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like. For those who are younger, the gospel tells us that Jesus has not called us to an easy life, but he has called us to a life of significance because there is significance to be found in walking with him, in walking with him. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously wrote in The Cost of Discipleship, and and if you don't know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed by Nazi Germany in a concentration camp at the age of 39. And he was a pastor of a church. He refused to give his loyalty to Hitler and the Third Reich, and he paid with his life. And he wrote this simple quote that is so profound and has been used in a thousand sermon illustrations. And he just simply said, When Christ calls a man, by man he means anyone, a man or a woman, he bids him come and die. And so the gospel shows us that we can live a life of faithfulness, walking with Jesus, but we are not promised a life of ease. We are not promised a life of ease. 
And the gospel shows us also that we can trust God through the years and decades of our lives, especially as the years tick on and we get older and older each year, that in our waiting, in our older years, we can trust God because Jesus has promised to be with us till our dying breath. In the Psalms, he says that he will be our guide even unto death and afterward receive us into glory. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Psalms. And so for us in the room and for those of you watching online who are Christians, who know the Lord, who walk with him, these three women give us an incredible picture of Jesus, our Savior. We can walk with him, for he is faithful to us. And if anyone in the room or anyone watching online uh, is not a Christian, if you have not yet trusted Jesus for your salvation, I implore you and, and, and encourage you to do so today. Because this Jesus, this one who was born in humble circumstances to a poor peasant girl in a little backwoods village that no one knew about, this one who came in humble circumstances, the babe of Bethlehem, is also the eternal God and the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is the judge of all. And he is coming back one day. And we don't know when, but he promised that he will return one day and he will judge the living and the dead. He will judge the living and the dead. And when he comes back, it's not going to be in humble circumstances and only a few shepherds know. When he comes back, all the world will see him. All the world will know. He is God and he is Lord. And he is risen from the dead. So if you've not trusted him yet, repent. Place your trust in Jesus this morning. This one that we've been talking about. That we've been looking at this morning. So my friends, you and I this morning, as we navigate this world with all its disappointments, its tragedies, its highs, its lows, the good, the bad, all of that, the times when God feels near, the times when God feels absent, we don't have to drift and get lost in a sea of confusion as we live our lives, like the fishermen in our story got lost at sea. We know the one to whom Elizabeth, Mary, and Anna are pointing. Jesus is the one that we encounter when we read the words of Scripture and we see him on every page. So let us hear the words of Luke once more from the very end of his gospel. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He is the one we encounter as we look at scripture. Amen? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we love you, God. We adore you. And God, we bow in submission to you this morning. For Lord Jesus, you are the humble babe of Bethlehem. You are also the eternal God, the sovereign Lord who rules over and sustains all things, the one who will judge the living and the dead, <clears throat> and the one who came and died and then rose from death to bring salvation. So Lord, we look to you. We love you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to speak to us, lead us, bless us, Lord, this morning and as we go through this week, Lord. See you in our lives.
for your glory, Lord. The ocean is your Well, hey, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Again, this is Scott for Centuries and Saints, and I pray that you were blessed as you listened to that sermon talking about Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna in the Gospel of Luke, and ultimately how they all point us to Jesus. So if you would, go ahead and leave us a review, rate the podcast, take a look at my website, scottwmatson.com. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, may you keep walking with the Lord Jesus, our great God and Savior. He is worthy. He will keep us to the end. So my friends, thank you so much. Be blessed. And until next time, once again, this is Scott for Centuries and Saints. Amen.